With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest extravaganza. Yeah, I'll use that word again. Mountain West Wire podcast. Week six recap. Jeremy Moss here with Matt Kennerly. And hey, Fresno has a trophy back, Matt. Is that making you feel good? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't altogether unexpected. And if you listen to our, our preview podcast, you kind of already knew that a little bit. But yeah, it feels pretty good on this end. Can I brag for a little bit? Uh, Can yeah, we get started? go for it. Can we just get started? Well, really quick, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Mountain West Wire, MWCWire.com, blah, blah, blah. All that fun stuff. Give us reviews, like us, help us out, share it with a friend. All right, we got that out of the way. We'll mention that again, I guess, if you're a first-time listener. But I think I got a lot of games right this weekend. I mentioned Aztecs would get a blowout. They wouldn't move up in the polls. Um, no, that's all I got. Maybe that's the only bragging I'm doing. That's not really big bragging, is it? Well, okay, let me ask you this. How I, you I, I, oversold, like... I think I oversold that for a minute. <laughs> well, how did, it, how did it feel to have your brief moment on live television on Friday night? Oh, that was amazing. I didn't realize what that was because the only reason I found out that was, um, yeah, I was at the Boise BYU game. I guess I was sort of famous or infamous for two things. People don't like me on Twitter anymore and TV. So apparently I'm in a big group text because most of those guys you see on there on the far, I was on the Boise State side for this game. So if you look at the little screenshot I put on Twitter and I think Facebook as well, my own, but on the far side, like, Hey, look at Jay Drew, the guy from Select Tribune getting FaceTime. I'm in a text because I play fantasy football with most of the guys who cover BYU here in town. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't realize until Twitter later when I saw a guy, from, another guy from Salt Lake Tribune. I'm like, hey, that's me on the far side. <laughs> so I made I made TV. I made, a, I think, a reasonably good joke. I didn't do anything stupid to embarrass myself. So, And everybody, you notice everybody's just not even watching the game. They're all staring at their laptop, essentially. <laughs> Probably crafting some sort of tweet. And how did it feel? Maybe this can be a lead-in to starting to talk about the games. How did it feel to watch BYU get manhandled in person? I'm okay, I'm okay with it. You're okay with it? That's what I'm asking. I'm how not, did it feel? It, I, I'm not going to cheer or laugh or be, woohoo, look at it. But I will say I'm right about BYU. I'll just go that. I guess I'll brag about that game because I used to cover them more extensively. Produce a radio show that was only BYU. And granted, it's if, they win, if you're covering a winning program, it's more fun because it's it's not boring or it's not a struggle to find good stuff to talk about. This team's now one in five, but during the summer, as I mentioned on all of our podcasts, and when I talked to Robbie McCombs from a vanquish we did some previews. I talked to a lot of people and I've always said they don't have a running game, which they don't. They did show a few plays on that going to the left side for a while, but it didn't really sustain. I said all year defense is pretty good. It's okay. It wasn't great, but it's okay. And Matt Bushman's the only receiver they have. And Jody Trinham made a speech or they'll drop passes, which happened. So I nailed it, and everybody's saying, no, nah, they're going to win 10 games, BYU, maybe 11 games. I'm like, no, they're going to be lucky to win seven games. I, okay, maybe I said eight games, but they might not make a bowl game. So, Tell me, when they play UNLV, UNLV can't put up points maybe? Hawaii's hit or miss, maybe that could be something interesting. It, it'll, it'll be fun to watch down the road if they um, actually struggle like that a little bit, I guess. 
Yeah, and I mean, in, in looking at the looking at the numbers, I didn't get a chance to watch too much of this game. And you know, if you didn't get to watch it, Boise State won twenty four to seven on Friday night. And you know, looking at the numbers, it bears out almost exactly the way that you anticipated it would. You know, they only average, they only had sixty six yards rushing on the game, and you know, a lot of that was you know they didn't have any chunk plays on the ground. Let's put it that way. The longest run was only nine yards. And, you know, they basically shut down Tanner Mangum, who was barely 50% throwing the ball with two interceptions and only 164 yards. So I guess my question would be, you know, considering that, you know, Boise State's defense has been pretty good more often than not, what were you most impressed by, by Boise State in this game? Alexander Madison showing up finally. He had his. This is the first hundred yard game by any Boise back since uh, McNichols. Jeremy McNichols had I think two hundred eight versus UNLV last year. But giving mm-hmm. him the ball because we all thought, and rightfully so, even the Boise guys next to me, Robert Mahone got to start, but then he fumbled. Never saw the field again. Madison, they're assuming, just they watch him more closely than we do at practice, saying maybe he's probably finally a hundred percent healthy. And so he had big plays. He had that direct snap where he could have walked in the end zone where he went to that left side. But he was making plays. He was cutting. He was being patient to find his blockers. And he had showed it, 118 yards, two touchdowns. And this is the guy we thought we'd be seeing from day one. But he was banged up a little bit. And also, this is Boise State's fifth different offensive line combination in as many games. And they played extremely well. And part of it was due to an injury, not Brian Harson making tweaks like he said. There was, I forget who it was left guard or I mentioned in our recap one offensive line was out but that was the biggest thing in the game that Madison actually showed up and the running game was very good yeah and I mean I think the numbers kind of bear it out you know BYU only managed two tackles for loss and you know I think if you're a Boise State fan the biggest number zero BYU sacks mm-hmm. there were without Butch Powell which is kind of a big deal for BYU but Guys like Sony Takitaki, who's pretty good. Who I feel I don't know if anybody watched last year, but I remember when they played Michigan State, he had a huge second half in that win. Even though Spartans were good last year, but they were getting nothing. Like their leading tackler was a defensive back. That's not good when Fred Warner leads your team in tackles. You don't want that to happen. And then they they just like there was concern. Like in the first drive, it's like going going. There was a fumble that probably shouldn't have been a fumble. For, or should have been a fumble when BYU scored. We watched the replay. It looked like it should have been a fumble, but they kept it, went for it on fourth and one, got it. So it's 7-0 because Boise had an interception on the first drive. It's like, oh, great, here we go again. And then Montel Cozart comes in. Like, I still don't like him seeing as much time as he did. But then it's 7-0. And honestly, the game was a little boring for chunks of it, but it's 7-0. Um, it's crap. BYU's going to do something. They're going to grow out and win because Boise interception, defense touchdown, punt, three and out punt. And then Boise or BYU has a decent drive, like a seven-play drive to go down quite a bit. And then we started seeing what Boise State can do. They had a, a couple of the touchdowns were extremely long drives. Their first one was a nine-play for 52 yard to end up on that 12-yard TD run by Madison, where he took the direct snap, which worked very well running to that left side. And then it's kind of back and forth. And then okay, 10-7, whatever. The kill, the killer drive for Boise State to beat BYU was that long drive. I don't know. I don't remember how long last time Boise State's done this, but a 16 play drive, 82 yards, took six minutes and 41 seconds off the clock and ended in a touchdown. That basically sealed the game. And then, really quick, I'll let you hop in second. Like, it goes on, um, BYU goes on down, gets rid of the ball. Then Boise again goes for a, takes her time, a seven play drive. They go for it on fourth, but took another four minutes off the clock. 
those two drives, that's almost a full quarter where Boise didn't give up the ball and BYU couldn't do anything. Their defense just got gassed. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing you can be encouraged by as a, as a Boise State fan in this game is, you know, they've been a little bit uneven in their ability to really extend drives. And this was probably their best performance of the year in just being able to move the chains. Like it was the first time all season long that they'd been above 50% on third down opportunities. You know, they were 8 of 15 on the game. And I think in particular, it was really important for a lot of people to see that Brett Rippin in particular could get things done. You know, he was 6 of 8 on third downs. And he was a big reason for a lot of that success. And if I'm not mistaken, it was during that long drive where he converted four third downs in a row. So, you know, you're starting to see glimpses of what this offense can can do. You know, I think maybe one thing you can be a little bit worried about is the fact that they weren't able to get that many passing plays as far as chunk yardage. They only had three plays of more than 15 yards through the air. But I mean, when you consider the opponent, when you consider that, you know, they held a significant advantage as far as starting field position more often than not, you know, they were able to convert most of their opportunities. I think maybe in the fourth quarter when they had a chance to really, you know, go for the jugular, you know, they had two straight, you know, turnovers on downs in the fourth quarter. And on both of those drives, they got down to the BYU 32 and the BYU 13. So there's some things to clean up, but I think... You know, this is why you still give Boise State the benefit of the doubt, because they still have a lot of talent, and at least for most of the game, they were able to put it together and come up with a pretty solid win. They did. And, like, going for them fourth and five at the 32, that's a long field goal. I'm fine with it. And then the, I'm guessing the reason they went for it on fourth and one at the 13, because I guess they're kind of, kind of going off the points, because, okay, there's two and a half minutes left in the game, and if they kick a field goal, it's only 20 points. And so technically, BYU, if they were to do something crazy, three touchdowns, three field, extra points gets the win. So kick it to field goal. Yeah, you're up 20, but I, I get their point for doing both of those. And what they noticed, too, on the uh, BYU's, de- or BYU's offense against this Boise's defense, BYU was not going downfield at all. They did a lot of quick passes, crossing routes over the short stuff. And like I said, Matt Bushman, the reason one of the picks was that he was targeting Matt Bushman, the tight end, the whole game. Like, he was staring him down because he's the only guy he trusts on the team. Most of these other passes were short passes, nothing too long. Yeah, 24 yarder to Bushman. Trey Dye had a long run, but long pass. But I think that was kind of a, a, a what was it, across the middle, or one of those short slant passes where he took it off and ran. One of those things, like, they weren't going downfield. And part of it is that Boise's defense is pretty good, the secondary. But when we see BYU gigs, we'll talk about them versus UNLV, versus Fresno, versus San Jose, versus Hawaii. They, they're in game six, and they haven't found a wide receiver. So when they play, like I said, San Jose State has an okay secondary, what are they going to do? BYU can't run the ball against anybody. Are they going to be able to finally run it versus San Jose? I don't know. But this is a good win for Boise State. It was a convincing win. There was no Once that halftime came around, there was no real doubt Boy, Boise was going to get the victory when they were up 17-7 to at the break. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. There's not much else to go on. There was a, I would like to say there's what the first interception is pretty brutal for Rippet. The, whoever caught it for a BYU basically made like a yeah Grant Jones basically made a one-handed grab, like he did not see him coming anywhere. It was a pretty ugly pick. But besides that, well, you know, at least it wasn't bad. Brett Rippin for sixty minutes, yeah. Yeah, it was just like I watched the replay. I'm like, oh, it's a pretty good catch. The guy was basically standing there, like they're doing. Uh, the guy was playing zone, drop back, and he just didn't see him. But it, I would like more passing yards, but they get the victory, and 
my main thing again, the running game, if Madison's healthy and that's the thing, give him the ball and let him run it. So they are now three and two. And then is San Diego State next weekend? Is that the big game? Uh I mean at first glance it probably is. Like Yeah, ten fourteen, yeah. There we go. We'll get to it. We will get to it. All right. Also, real quick, one thing we did not mention that touchdown pass Brett Rippin made first of the year. Oh, congratulations to him. Yes, I didn't realize that. I'm like, really? That's it? I'm like, okay. So we got that going. All right, next game. Let's go to Saturday. A bunch of games here. Colorado State at Utah State. Um, I think it's safe to say, Matt, the Rams took the foot off the gas at halftime because they didn't seem to care in the second half at all. In the 27 14 win. <laughs> I think you're probably right about that. I mean, you consider what they did in the first. I mean, well, to be fair, you know, they racked up about 500 yards of total offense. And the split between the first half and the second half maybe wasn't as drastic as it seemed. You know, they did rip off about 300 of those yards before halftime when they really jumped out to that big lead. But they still managed to outgain Utah State after halftime, too. You know, and I think a lot of that credit goes to the fact that the running game for CSU took a little bit of time to come around in the first half. But, you know, when they needed those guys to step up, you know, they had 136 yards as a team and they were averaging five yards per carry. So I think that right there is, you know, even though they weren't quite as explosive in the second half, you know, that didn't really matter because they were able to find a little bit of consistency on the ground. And they held the ball for, what, 37 minutes? Yeah. But, like, watching the Rams' first couple of drives, I'm like, Utah State had no answer for anything. Like, Rams were making it look way too easy. Like, they forced Utah State to punt early. Then CSU seven-play drive for a touchdown. Yeah, field goal. Then they get a six-play touchdown again. 11-play drive. That only took five minutes and went 91 yard or 81 yards. They're up 24-0 before, was it, before the first quarter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no, like, at that point, it's like, there's no way. And so that's why it's a little surprising that only ended up being 27-14. Because they, I, I, once it was that big of a lead, I kind of tuned away and went to the Air Force game a little bit. I'm like, okay, they're up 24-7. Not a big deal. They had that punt touchdown return as well. I mean, can we say, special teams in this league is pretty good, man. You got Wyoming, San Diego State, uh, Boise's doing good things, CSU with the touchdown return. It's probably one of the better special teams conference over around. So that's yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we haven't really talked that much about the fact that, you know, Colorado State did bring in, what was it, the number one punter in the class of 2017? They had to replace um, the guy last year who got the finalist, who was that? Um, Hayden Hunt. Oh, yeah, Hayden Hunt. Yeah, All-American and stuff last year. So it's always good. You got to pin him deep. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Stonehouse actually did. He only had three punts, and two of them were inside the 20-yard line. He averaged 52 yards a punt, which is pretty ridiculous so what do we make of utah state here because they're still kind of hard to tell because we know BYU's not as good as they were as they thought they would be kent myers did okay they brought in jordan love a bit people apparently a stadium exploded when he hopped in for that first first out of the game but they still have no running game to speak of 63 total yards kent myers had to run 16 times i need to check new stats here did one hunt get stats because i'm on espn it's showing he has nothing i thought he hit, did a little bit here and there um, Lamont Hunt ended up, he ended there up we with go. eight carries, 19 yards. All right. I'm going to stick to stat broadcast. ESPN, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> but still like overall, like what do what you make of the Aggies? Because they didn't run the ball very well. Kent Myers was barely over 50%, had a touchdown. I guess a, a decent receiving like Dax Raymond did pretty good receiving the ball and El, Tor- El Toro Allen got in the receiving game as well, but their offense just seems meh. 
nothing special. And they're a team where I don't know where do you put them because the Mountain Division is crazy with Air Force, what they've done, New Mexico winning the past couple weeks, beating Tulsa and stuff like that, beating Air Force. Is Aggies the are they number six in the Mountain Division still? I mean, it's it is kind of hard to say because you know what we talked about. I think a lot during the preview is which offense is going to show up. And in this particular game, you know, we talked about how, you know, they're either really hot or really cold. And on a per play basis, this was the worst performance that this offense has had yet. You know, they only averaged about 3.3 yards per play, which is even worse than they did last week against BYU and was worse than the blowout against Wake Forest. So, I'm not totally sure because, you know, I think that's a credit to Colorado State's defense, too, that they were able to basically eliminate the big play. And Utah State's been really hot and cold in that regard. Like, they only had, I think, four plays of more than 15 yards, but, you know, Kent Myers only managed 152 yards on 29 attempts. That's just not going to get it done with this kind of, you know, quick strike offense that Utah State wants to have. They just haven't been able to get it clicking consistently yet, which is kind of curious to me. It is. You're halfway through the year. And then part of it is the defense. Yeah, they got guys like Jalen Davis who had a great game last week. You can't rely on three picks and two touchdowns or a kick return or a block punt or something to get victories mm-hmm. in a game, in any type of game. And so their defense, Rams offense is the best they've seen all year outside of Wisconsin and maybe Wake is pretty close, but that you can't just go, oh, I'm going to get pick six here. I'm going to intercept. I'm going to knock down Nick Stevens who – I'm going to say it right now, like, I'll say it again, like, if people are listening for the first time or whatever or don't remember, I've called it since the summer, don't be surprised if Nick Stevens is the best quarterback in the conference. And I got, seriously, people laugh at me and, like, what are you talking about? Why this guy? He's going to be number one on my list probably for the rest of the way unless somebody does something amazing. Like, Christian Chapman does very does well, but he's not can't make the big plays like Stevens does. Josh Allen is still down for me. And it's hard to really judge. Lamar Jordan, Aaron Worthman, are they going to jump up? Probably not. Marcus McMurray at Fresno? Probably not. But, and not to say I'm right to brag, but, like, people were questioning all this stuff. Like, why would you pick Nick Stevens over Josh Allen or Brett Ribbon? Like, well, this game's one reason why. When you throw for nearly 300 yards and had a pretty big first half and no picks again. Yeah, I mean, to kind of echo that point, he was 22 of 31 overall, but he was 16 of his first 19. Didn't he have like 21 passes in a row going back to last game? Something like that, 2021? I don't know exactly what the streak was. I can just tell you that he had a really hot hand early in this game. And, you know, I think in the in the second half, it really kind of tapered off a little bit. But, you know, it's one of those things you're, I think you're right. I think, you know, aside from a couple of early, you know, shaky starts against Colorado and stuff like that, he has played like the best quarterback overall. Well, even the Colorado game, those three iffy offensive pass interferences could have been, they could be sitting at five and one. Yeah, exactly. But that, that happens. So let me ask you really quick, since we're nearing midseason and maybe we'll do some midseason something, who knows, as I spring it on you now. Um, who would you take right now, Rams or, or Aztecs? Oh, I would take the Aztecs. Okay, just curious. So would I. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I still convincingly for you. I still think, and we talk, and for anybody who listened to our preseason preview would already know this, but I, you know, I don't see any reason why they still wouldn't be on the collision course that I thought they would be at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's going to be – well, they don't play this year until title game, so hope they, hope they both make it. It'll be a great one. So let's move on. Let's go to uh, what's next here. Um, Air Force and Navy. Wow. That was really something, that game. 
if not for the seven overtime, was it Buffalo Central Michigan game? It was, or what, it was what, Western what, Michigan. Western Michigan. If not for that game, this probably would have been the game of the day out of all of college football. So it. Oh man, it, I, I I started watching. I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm gonna record this because I just saw the score. I'm like, let's see what happens. But man, what a game! Can we talk about this Air Force defense? What defense? I didn't see him out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's ice cold. <laughs> what about what do you got to say about them? I'm, I mean, I I don't want to skip straight to the last drive, and you know, for the we should probably mention Navy ended up winning forty eight to forty five. But that last drive was brutal to watch. Man. You know they had the game in hand; they were winning. They yeah, and for those of you who didn't watch it, it was within two minutes in Navy. Their final drive, they went a minute. They started their own twenty-five. They went seventy-five yards, eleven plays in a minute and thirty-eight seconds. And what really stuck out to me from that last drive, and from most of the second half in particular, if I'm being totally honest, is. The Navy's receivers were like consistently open. Yeah. But, you know, not only that, you know, Zach Aby, I think, you know, he only completed four of 11 passes, but, you know, he made those passes count on that last drive. But he was a machine on the ground, too. Like they were able to basically run at will, even in a situation where they're under 90 seconds to go. They're still running. They were still able to run between the tackles against this Air Force defense. It was really alarming to see. And, you know, AB ended up leading the midshipmen with 214 yards. But, you know, it just seemed like there was big play after big play against this Air Force defense to the tune of, you know, we knew Navy was going to run a lot. They ended up having 11 plays of more than 10 yards on the ground. And two of them were those like su- supremely big running plays where you know, Malcolm Perry had a 91-yard touchdown. A.B. had himself a 75-yard touchdown. Is this like is this like a, a like a red alert for the Falcons? It shouldn't be too surprising. They lost, like I know we're midseason, but they lost 10 starters. And like I said before, I kind of mentioned this because they played in Mexico – well, let me back up a step further, farther than that, further. But yes, they run the triple option, the run option attack, whatever you want to call it. They don't really do the triple option because Parker Wilson didn't get that many fullback dives. But they don't like they. All the people are like, oh, they should be fine. They see this defense or offense all the time. The option, no, they don't. They don't practice against this offense ever, unless they're playing the Mexico or Navy or Army. Yes, it's more than who they normally play. More teams will play against this type of offense. But the defense doesn't prepare. It's like any other team. They don't prepare for this type of offense until a week or two, week before, a little bit of spring, a little bit of fall camp. And so I even mentioned the Mexico game, we saw they struggled. I'm like, watch for them to struggle again. I thought it might be a bit better because it's week two of kind of going up against a similar scheme. But they can't. Mm-hmm. We point to the Michigan game where they held them to five red zone field goals out of six attempts. That's just a regular offense they face every most time. It's more like San Diego State, Boise State, Utah State. It's more in that range who they're going to face a traditional offense. And so for people to say, oh, they're going to see this, they're going to be good against this option attack, no, they never face it. It's still red alerts because they give up 48 points at how many yards per play, and then that big fourth and three on that final drive, kind of people expect the Army to, or not Army, shoot, Navy to run. They have that huge 25-yard pass to the other side of the field. But, yeah, there's a concern when they give up 471 yards on the ground. There's nothing about it. And, like, you'll give up yards. That's fine. But the amount of yards per carry, like like you said, Perry, right there, Malcolm Perry, four carries, 127. Zach Abbott, like you said, 214 on 29 carries. There were three plays at least. Could be more. I'm just looking at the big plays. 
three rushing plays of 38 yards or more. They had two passing plays of 25 yards or more, including the four the touchdown was the uh, the no not touchdown but the uh, whatever. They had a lot of big plays. That's the issue. You can give up yards against an attack like this, but you can't give up like 10 yards of play. You gotta let them get five, seven, eight yards like that, but don't give up the 25, 35, 45 plus yard plays. That's where they lose it. Well, I mean, here here's the most telling stat I think. You know, even beyond the raw rushing totals or the per yard total. Navy ran the ball 57 times as a team, and Air Force only managed one tackle for loss. But if you're taking anything positive from this game, if you're an Air Force fan, isn't it the fact that the offense had its best game of the year, I think? Yeah, and then Worthman, who we people questioned in the Michigan games, they brought in Nate Romine because he could throw. They probably threw a lot more than they wanted to. 9 of 16, 257, two touchdowns. They had that trick play where Sanders threw that pass on the field. Mm-hmm. Back to, um, was it back to Worthman, I think? Yeah, 24-yarder to Worthman. That was a pretty interesting play where they set it up with the reverse earlier on that drive. They got a touchdown. But, yeah, like Worthman, he limited his carries to only 20. He did make a few, probably the max you want, but where did where's this guy, Nolan Erickson, coming from? 15 for 90. Cleveland. Only touched the ball five times, but 62 yards. Everybody ran the ball well. McVay, two touchdowns. The only thing I like to see is like get just do the fullback dive a little bit more. But yeah, this was probably this was their best offensive game of year. But like we said, preseason, early early in the year, defense is going to be an issue more than ever. And it just stinks that last drive because if you look at the drive chart, Air Force scored six straight second half touchdowns on their mm-hmm. first six possessions, mm-hmm. and they still lose. 42 second half po- or no sorry 35 yeah is that right is that right correctly five 35 points hold on was that right they had six touch six touchdowns in a row is that or is that five five they, touchdowns they had five sorry. touchdowns in a row sorry five, six drives five touchdowns and the last drive they tried some little lateral to make something happen which didn't but you scored 35 straight on it straight points and you lose something's up with your defense buddies come on yeah you're down 28 10 at the half but here's the big issue the biggest thing in the game not the fourth down conversion on that final drive where they went down the field past what to um, AB had that big pass play. It was a two fumbles in the first half that led to 14 straight points for Navy. That yep. was the, the issue in this game. The two fumbles, one was nearly a scoop and score, but you don't have the, I get it. Those happened and everything, but ended up being 14, seven. Okay. Not a big deal. Air force gets the ball. Okay. Fumble. Okay. 21, seven. All right. We got this. Half's nearly over 90 seconds and a half or, or not 90 seconds, but Half is nearing over three minutes and a half, three and a half minutes left. Another fumble for a touchdown. Luckily, Air Force got the field goal, but protect the ball better if you don't have those turnovers. I know it's they happen, but still, those those were the two key series in the game that lost this for Air Force. Yeah, I mean you don't want to be in a hole, and they were at one point down thirty-one to ten. So you know you could say, yeah, don't put yourself in that position where you have to claw your way all the way back. But I think you do have to give Workman a lot of credit for kind of leading that charge because he was, you know, a little bit slow to start throwing the football. He ended up only nine of sixteen, but he was, you know, five. He was five of his last six, and he had like three really critical plays of more than twenty yards, including the fifty-five or the fifty-one yard touchdown, excuse me, to Marcus Bennett. So, like, we could see, we've seen what this offense can do, but. You know, it's not going to get any easier for Air Force because now UNLV is going to be coming to town next week. We know they can run the ball. And, you know, I think this is going to be kind of an open question for the Falcons going forward. Well, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Let's move on to the next game here. 
your game, Fresno San Jose State. Not surprised by the outcome, really. 27-10, they get the Valley Trophy to come back to town. Nice little celebration at the end. But they, they did okay. Hey, running game got on track, man. That's what you wanted to see with Rivers with 105 yards, 212 overall. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to see if they could establish the running game early because that was something that they really weren't interested in last week against Nevada. You know, they weren't really able to do it against Alabama or Washington, which for obvious reasons. But, you know, in this case, mission accomplished, you know, and especially in that first half is when they did most of their damage on the ground. They ended up having about 150 yards on the ground before halftime. And that actually ended up being a pretty decent supplement for Marcus McMarion, who was, you know, again, right before halftime, he was pretty good again. You know, he's 10 of 15 in the first half and wasn't quite as sharp in the second half. But then again, you could say that about the whole team. But, but, but you know, I got to say before, <laughs> San Jose State is bad. They are bad. Like, I couldn't believe how bad they were. And, I mean, I know this is like a, like, you know, Bill Connolly, Connolly, excuse me, would call it a year zero situation. But it just seemed like Josh Love had no chance. You know, they had the first drive where uh, um, Blackwell, the receiver, they tried to run a trick play. And it was like the ugliest interception I've seen all year long. It was just like right, it was just right to Jaron Bryant. (laughs) Thank you. And it really didn't get much better for the Spartans after that. Like, Love couldn't even crack 100 yards. He ended up, you know, 15 of 25. And, you know, by the time they were down you know, 17 points in the in the second half, they were basically going into effort mode, and Love was just kind of chucking it up and seeing what would happen. And, you know, they, they did get Fresno State for a couple of penalties, I think, on defensive pass interference, but they just did not look good in this game. They did not like. There's one area that did look okay, besides Frank Ginda, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, they actually had decent running. Tyler Nevins, 99 yards. That's one positive for San Jose State, whose rushing game has been terrible for the yeah. most part. And if you read my preview, I pointed him out as a guy who has been getting increased workloads, and he might be the answer for them in the backfield. So that is a credit to him. Yeah. Yeah, he had 94 last week versus UNLV. Uh, like the 99 versus Fresno, increased carries basically since the. Uh, Utah games did six versus Texas, five Utah, 10, 17, 21 carries. So he's going to be, like he said, year zero, guy for the future. One thing that stinks is that if they had Montel Aaron, I don't know if it would make that much of a difference, but he seemed to be the better quarterback. And there's still no word or official, but I'm pretty sure it's the ACL tear because they we have people at practice and they never say a thing about injuries because, you know, they're like nuclear secrets, right? These injuries and stuff. Oh, yeah. For a yeah. team that's one in five, like – Come on, if he's out for – like, I get it if you don't want to say, oh, he's going to be out for a week or two. But if he's out for the year – like, I know University of Utah does this. If you ask them a question, they'll talk about it because they don't bring it up on themselves, which is fine. But they will bring it up on their own if it's a season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. And so if, if he's out, like, let people know because it's, like, the worst-kept secret. If he's out for the year, let us know. I'm, we're, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Like I said, when we watched that Utah game, when you're in street clothes, crutches, nice E, ni- or iced knee, I should say, it's like the trifecta. You're done. And so – I don't know if that would make a difference, but they'd be a little bit better. But because Josh Love, he is a uh, sophomore, and so they're just terrible. Like you mentioned, Frank Ginda. What's the record you said for FBS tackles? He had 19 in this game, isn't it? 193 you mentioned. It is, is 193. It was. I forget the guy's name. He played for Texas Tech about a, like 15 years ago, I think. 
Is it, was it Zach Thomas? No. Linebacker, maybe? No, Not it him? was someone whose name I didn't recognize offhand. But okay. for anybody who's, who's interested, he's the only player in the country who is over 100 tackles. And it's not he, even close. <laughs> yeah, it's not even. The next guy, by the way, is Khalil Hodge from Buffalo, who only has 82 total tackles. Ginda's at 106. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, is a function of just how many plays San Jose State has to face. But, you know, it's a kind of an interesting side note. You know, he's been playing really well, I think, all things considered. Like, he does have six tackles for loss as well. You know, it's a team that's a work in progress, obviously. You know, they also didn't help themselves with turnovers. I think they ended up turning the ball over four times in this game, including twice when it was already pretty well out of reach. But, you know, they have some pieces I think they can build upon, and it's going to be a learning experience. But, you know, I think we all kind of expected Fresno State to win this game pretty handily. And, you know, even though it was kind of a boring second half, hard to argue with the result if you're a Fresno State fan. And just really quick on him, even though he's played more games than thanks to Hodge, he's still averaging 15 tackles per game, which is a tackle and a half more than Hodge. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So they do play 13 games. Maybe we'll figure this out, but he has six more games. If he gets 10 a game, he has to get more. He has to get well more than 10 a game, but he has to get 80. Was it 86 tackles? 87 tackles the rest of the way. Yes. And so set in six games. That's what just that's blows average right now. So hey, maybe. Let's let's go for two hundred, right? Can we just go get Ginda to two hundred tackles? That's fourteen and a half tackles per game from here on out. That's no big deal. To, to get to two hundred? He's averaging over fifteen so far. Yeah, fifteen one, yeah. And he's also a uh, junior, I believe, so he's next year too to do something crazy. He's pretty good. He is pretty good. So alright, should we just move on to the next game, I guess? Yeah, let's go for it. So we have um Hawaii, Nevada, right? Yes we do. Alright, so um First, let's give a good hearty round of applause to Jay Norvell for getting his first one of the year, one and five. Congratulations. Ooh. Better late than never. Better late than never. And I'll just say I called it again. Why did you ever bench Ty Ganji? There's no point in burning the red shirt because now Cayman's never going to see the field again this year. And I still think that's the stupidest decision ever to bench him. Four touchdowns, 278 yards on an impressive 25 of 32 passing. Does Hawaii have bigger problems than we think they do? Yeah, I think we just saw it coming because the UMass game giving up 35 points to them, who's not very good. That's their issue. It's their because if you look at the like, if you just look at the numbers, St. Juice 241 yards on the ground. John Ursu 126 recept, yards recept, receiving nine pass nine catches touchdown, and even Drew Brown okay 18 27 above at well above average. All the numbers look fine. It's just they fumble the ball, they don't play defense, and playing this Nevada team, maybe this is Nevada's team we're going to see going forward perhaps, but we all thought Hawaii's defense would be better. But the clear mishap on this team is the defensive issues to stop anything. Well, and not only that, you know, I don't think we mentioned it during our preview podcast. Maybe it happened afterwards. I can't remember the exact timeline. But for those of you who didn't notice or didn't pay attention to the news, you know, their offensive line coach, Chris Naole, decided to step away from the program, basically to resign his position. I think, if I remember correctly, it was over differences in, like, disciplinary things. Yeah, something like that, yes. And, you know, we've talked a little bit in past previews about the fact that Hawaii often shoots themselves in the foot, you know. 
Yes, they had almost 500 yards of total offense, which is good. But again, they had 11 penalties, 114 yards. The only Dude. team in the yeah. only team in the country that's been penalized more than them is Oregon. And so I'm wondering, like, yeah, St. Juice is obviously having a really great season. John Ursua, I think, is still leading the country in receiving yards per game. And Drew Brown, you know, for had a pretty good game, all things considered. Like he was 18 of 27. He had 229 yards. But like, is there something that's systemically wrong? Like, I don't understand like why this keeps happening to them or why they just keep shooting themselves in the foot in this way. I don't know. There was the one possession. I forgot who brought it up. And I, cause I was, wasn't really watching this game at this point. I was watching more of the Aztec game. What was going on, but there was a possession. Wasn't there like a, a series of events where they had like a couple penalties, interception or something for a touchdown. There's something nutty early in this game. I can't remember where it was. I wish I had it in front of me. There's some, they somebody called Maybe it was our guy. Um, uh, Keith, I don't, don't worry about it, which is a great Twitter handle, obviously. But there's some. I wish I, I should have pulled this up in front of me. But some series of events where penalty, penalty, touchdown, or interception, something like the worst drive ever they've had, and it led to points. But but you're right. Penalties, like we go back to oh, bring up the UMass game. They had, I think, all but one penalty in the first half. They had to come back. They have a million penalties in this game, and he joked like the ESPN stat said like 150 hertz penalties. What is like 50 or 35 in the first half? You're right. 114 penalty yards. They're just not disciplined because that's an issue because like whatever drive that was, I wish I had in front of me again, but when you're driving down the field, Oh, false start. Oh, pass interference, defensive holding, whatever penalty may be roughing a pass or I'm just making some up here, but that's a full football field worth of penalties. This might be the drive that you're thinking of. I don't know if it is. So it's, it's in the second quarter and you know, Drew Brown's six yard pass to Dylan Colley. Next play was an incomplete pass. It was a holding penalty. Oh, yep, you know, it rush is. Rush for it. ten yeah, yards. Going. Rush for ten yards. It's you know, third and four. And then there's legal use of the hands from Dijon Allen. So now it's third and nineteen. Negates and then, a fourteen yard pass too. By the yeah, way. and then there's a there was a, a St. Juiced rush for eight yards. There's another holding penalty. It's third and twenty one. There's an unsportsmanlike conduct. So they start at the 25, they go backwards to the 7 before they end up punting the ball, or and before they get back to the 16. So it's like officially 4 yards minus 9 <laughs> yards, or 4 plays minus 9 <laughs> yards. But I mean, I think that that encapsulates everything. Oh, wait, you're not done yet. Hold on. Wait, you should keep going to the next one. Oh, yeah. Nevada okay. gets the, Nevada gets personal the ball. Foul. Personal foul penalty. Well, it was a targeting oh. penalty, yeah. And then yeah, uh, Pene oh. Pavahi ends up getting ejected and stuff like that. I feel like that's really emblematic of like the season that Hawaii is having because if you look at just like the positive plays that they're having, you know, St. Juice ten yard rush, eight yard rush, you know, Tui Asoa had a nine yard rush on that play. All of these things are getting just wiped away, and if they could just get that cleaned up, that would make them like a lot more competitive than they've looked in these early weeks. But if they can't, and I mean at this point. You know, it seems to be a trend that this is a team that is just error prone. It is. That's that's all you can say about it. Because like you said, if you didn't watch this game, okay, they lose by two touchdowns. They lose Nevada. That looks pretty bad. But if you just like, oh, wait, passing good. Like I mentioned before, rushing good. Rushing great. Everything great. Like Drew Brown, maybe a few more yards would be nice. 20, 27 maybe. But still, it was just all 
And give credit to Nevada too. You can't just say it's all Nevada's losing the game or Nevada won the game because of Hawaii's miscues. Nevada found a running running attack, and we haven't mentioned Kelton Moore, who was toe to toe with St. Juice at 216 of his own yards. Mm-hmm. And they and then Wyatt Demps, who we knew would be their top receiver, they threw 26 completions to uh, what's this three, four, five, seven different receivers. So give Nevada credit for finding their offense. They ran the ball well and passed the ball well. This is clearly, even though they won, like this was their best game by far. Yeah, and even on the Hawaii side, like on a per-play basis, this was their best offensive performance yet. Like the offense is not the problem with this team. It's the lack of discipline and, uh, you know, the defense has been a bigger Achilles heel than I think either of us thought it would be. And yeah, I'm Look not... at this really quick. Like the four TFLs, sorry, mm-hmm. for Hawaii. We knew Nevada's defense wasn't good. They had nine TFLs and four sacks. Where did that come from? Well, you know, Malik Reed did have two sacks. That's probably worth noting. And he did have two mm-hmm. forced fumbles as well. Pretty good. So that's like we talked about this Nevada defense not being good, but they showed up. Like Baber had TFL eight tackles. Rufus had half a sack. The guys who expected to come up came up big. Finally. It took them long enough. But, I mean, I'm not sure that there's any real easy fix for this Hawaii team at this point. I think they're kind of stuck being – who they are, which is, you know, really good, really good offense, really suspect defense and questions about discipline. And they kind of have to show me something in the future to kind of make me think otherwise. All right. So who's the number two team in the West division then? I mean, is it Fresno state at this point? (laughs) Good argument to say so because Nevada won victory. This one game, Hawaii not playing well. Fresno beat San Jose state. UNLV's no, Maybe at the moment that's not far fetched. I mean, depending on on what you like, I think you could make an you could make an argument for Fresno State. I do think you could make an argument for UNLV, but I think that there are questions about both teams, which kind of make it maybe more of a toss up than a lot of people might think. It's yeah, it's close. Like based on talent, I would say on at least offensively, Hawaii's better, but you got to get victories too at some point. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the final game of the day, the game I was anticipating and looking forward to, which did not disappoint because I called a blowout, and it's finally the blowout that we wanted San Diego State to get. They pretty much cruised to victory. Was it 41-10? Is that correct? I'm trying to go back to my page here. It was 44-10. Oh, 44-10. And no, it was 41-10. No, oh, it was. Oh, I must have been looking at the wrong thing. That's okay. It happens. Close but enough. They, they played well. They – Aztecs did their thing. They basically shut down UNLV, who had a few good things going, but they shut down Armani Rogers. The rushing game was held in check as well. And as, as usual, Rebels defense didn't do much of anything. Yeah, I mean, I think this game really turned the more that San Diego State was able to move the ball pretty much at will. You know, if you look at the drive chart, especially in the first half, you know, they ended up having three scoring drives, but you know, even their first drive where they ended up losing it with a fumble was, you know, 67 yards and 13 plays. So, I mean, they really pushed this rebels defense, which I think is something that we all expected. You know, maybe one thing that we didn't expect was, you know, I thought that there might be an opportunity for ULB to, you know, create some explosive plays for themselves, but that wasn't really the case. You know, Lexington Thomas was pretty much held in check. Like, he did have one 23-yard run, but he only had 54 yards on the evening. And that's a, you know, pretty big win for a San Diego State defense that, 
you know, we've noted in past weeks, you know, they have given up an explosive play here or there. So that's a huge credit to them. And, you know, for Armani Rogers, I think this is more of a learning experience than anything. Like they've had to put more on his shoulders than I think they wanted to. And, you know, he was only 12 of 27 for 177 yards and a score. But, you know, I think you could see glimpses of where this team could go in a year or two. You know, if you saw the drive, it was like midway through the second quarter. It was eight plays, 79 yards. And, you know, if you were looking at one play or one drive, rather, where everything clicked, that was pretty much it. You know, they ended up hitting Brandon Presley for a really long catch and run. And Kendall Keyes had a really tough catch in the end zone for their only touchdown of the evening. Great throw. That was perfect. Yeah. So you could could see – that Armani Rodgers could make the throws. He just wasn't consistent enough, I think, in this case. And in a lot of cases, he was really kind of under attack. You know, he ended up having three sacks on the game. Um, so, you know, San Diego State basically came in. They handled business. You know, for UNLV, it'll maybe take some time to recover from this one. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's hard. I don't think you should feel too badly about it if you're a UNLV fan. Yeah, there's spots well, like Rodgers. He had a 45-yard run. He had a couple long passes. But there's one pass that was would have been a touchdown to Devontae Boyd. It was just it's one of those passes where it was it would have been it would have been very tough for any receiver to catch it had Boyd been like a little bit shorter because what it was was a kind of a, a dart right to the shoulder with the defender behind him. Mm-hmm. But with Boyd being not that he's overly tall, but six one. It was basically hit him in the shoulder pad or the elbow. Yeah. So where it was a good throw, had he been, there was basically no spot for him to catch the ball unless it was right on target, which essentially it was. But had he been five eleven, it would have gone right to that right hand because he was, or whichever I forget which way it was standing, but it hit him in the shoulder or the forearm. Had he been like an inch or two smaller, would have been right in the chest, catch it in the end zone. Would have probably bulldozed the Aztec defender a couple yards and gone in the end zone because they're both running side by side. So they're mm-hmm. good throws on target. That one's like, it's it's hard to fault. It's a great throw, but it's hard to fault either side. Like, oh, you should have made the catch, but it was just a tear a tad off. But that's about it. But there's good throws, and he he ran the ball well for for himself. He had that 45 yard run. I guess the one run, but. They did okay. It's just Aztecs are really good. And then you see Penny knocking over guys, putting the shoulder down, and just trucking people. Hit a couple of those yeah, plays I mean, Saturday night. And, I mean, it wasn't just him. You know, you saw Juwan Washington really get into the game. He had nine and a half yards per carry. And then, you know, you started seeing them break in Chase Jasmine a little bit. You know, he had almost six yards of carry. in you know, granted in garbage time, but... You know, maybe he's touchdown. a guy that, He scored. He still know, had his touchdown, too. So. He, he, he did. And then, of course, Christian Christian Falk. I mean, Christian Chapman had that QB draw for a touchdown in the first half. Mm-hmm. They, they did really good things. So, and then also, one guy we're not looking at as well is Quest Truxton, too. His also returning 10 yards of attempt on a return at a 30-yarder. Like, they have every aspect of this team nailed down of how good they are. Yeah, so I mean, this was the kind of win that I think a lot of Aztecs fans were looking for. You know, this was kind of, you know, if you've been looking at the last couple, if you've been paying attention the last couple of years, this is the kind of win you're accustomed to seeing within conference and especially within the division. As, you know, we kind of knew going in that the Aztecs were going to be the class of the division, class of the West. 
but you know it's a good win for them and you know we didn't even mention Rashad Penny had 170 yards oh yeah that guy (laughs) (laughs) no big deal right and but you know maybe we should also take a moment to just remember that they're doing this with three underclassmen along the offensive line too like they are true freshmen wasn't a true freshman starting again I know they started one last week uh, I don't think so this week. I'm pretty sure they they got the guy back. But you're right. They um, lost four or five, and Nico Saragusa is in the NFL. That's crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we need to give credit to the big guys up front because we haven't really been talking about them enough. And I'm talking about, in particular, the left side. You know, you're talking about Tyler Romer and Deshaun Dixon. Pretty good guys, I think. Yeah, they're, they're doing great. And so I, let's get to the part where you woke up this morning Oh, let's let's crack open the uh, USA Today coaches poll, the AP poll, and I can imagine most people surprised to get the Bugs Bunny big eyes. What's going on? We move up one spot. We don't move up at all. South Florida's ranked ahead of us still. Navy, UCF are moving up in the polls. What's going on? What do the Aztecs have to do? Is it what I said last week where if they just smoke Boise State, they'll get the respect they deserve despite Boise State being just an average team this year? What do they have to do? Is it going to be where they, a couple years ago, beat Utah State 54-0, or whatever it was, 41-10 versus UNLV? If they do this when they play San Jose, Fresno, Hawaii, are they going to have to win by 40 points a game to get any respect and move up to the top 15? Or at least pass South Florida, who's best win? Is their best win against Illinois, a 2-3 and three Illinois team? I have no idea at this point. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it is an open question. Like you, you, For those of you who didn't look at the rankings or aren't looking at them right now, the coaches poll. We'll start there. San Diego State, they did move up three spots, so they went from 21 to 18. But South Florida moved from 16 to 15. And at this on a buy, on a buy, this on a buy. Well, should be should be noted. And at the, and at this point, San Diego State is six and zero. We know that they have at least one win that's better than any win South Florida has, and they just have one additional win period. So I don't understand <laughs> what's going on. It, it could be probably what it is, which I know Kevin McGuire replied to us on Twitter over at uh, the stuff for CFT and uh, no two minute warning type stuff like all, all over the place. It's what and a guy Colin Sherwin mentioned to me from the Daily Stampede in our preseason show. It's because they're ranked higher and that's the reason these polls work that way. You're not going to be jumped unless you do something great. However, which does make sense and I can I can understand the argument. But then again, that's preseason bias, which is going to be into consideration no matter what. However... You were halfway through the season. South Florida struggled for a half versus San Jose State. Struggled for at least a quarter versus Stony Brook. Yes, they blew out um, Illinois. They blew out Temple, who's not as good as they thought with Matt Rule not being there. And they crushed ECU, which is expected to do because they're terrible. But it's like, what? I don't I don't get it. It's like, what are they going to do? Because Arizona State's okay. But they, they manhandled Stanford, who's now ranked 25th after beating Utah on the road last night. Yeah, I, I just I don't understand it. UCF. And not only that, but you know, now you got now you got teams coming up. <laughs> yeah. And and Navy, who we I, talked I, about a little bit earlier. Well, well, real quick, one thing I noticed in the um did you know did you how much of the Air Force Navy game did you watch? Did you ever notice the uh, um, pretty much first the entire down thing. markers? The P six uh, first down markers. I did not. Actually, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, those are weird. But like, I okay. UCF is undefeated, four zero. Navy's undefeated. Okay, Air Force. UCF has beaten a FIU team who is what three and three on the year, three and two. The- they beaten. 
they beat a mediocre Conference USA team. They beat Mem- they beat Memphis for some reason. Like they Solid basically victory. worked Memphis over. And they beat a mediocre and they crushed Maryland a bad team. Cincinnati team. Like the, okay, beat, beating Maryland and Memphis, those are pretty good wins. Yeah. Like I would say uh, Maryland is probably in the same realm of Arizona State because Maryland's sitting at three and two, right around there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, their 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 quarterbacks are like. <laughs> I'm saying drivers, Memphis, who they just got cr- crushed there. Memphis, they're okay, but they get crushed by the, them and beat UCLA. And UCLA is not really particularly solid this year. Yeah, and I mean Navy too. Like, yes, they're five and zero, oh, but what is their best win? Arguably, you know, they, arguably, they could beat be too late. mediocre Florida Atlantic. Because I was shocked. I see the score. Tulane crushes <laughs> Tulsa. I'm like, what's wrong with Tulsa now? Tulane, what did they beat? They beat 62 to 28. Yeah. Like, it's like, come on. Like, that's their best win. And I don't what, – what, what are these guys going off of? It's not, is it just score? Like, we shouldn't be too upset about this because we'll get the playoff rankings pretty soon. I think Halloween night's the first one. But, like, I get you're undefeated. And seeing Navy ranked is fine. But why did, what has UCF done to move up in the polls four spots this past week? Well, they also crushed a mediocre to bad Cincinnati. Is it because Aztecs? Because if if people watch these games, which I know you can't watch every game, and I get it, it's hard. We I don't even watch every game in the Mountain West. I read stuff, I watch clips, I tune in here and there to watch to see what I'm doing. But are they just watching because San Diego State barely beat Air Force? Had they watched that game, it was in a freaking monsoon like Michigan, Michigan State, or they struggle a little bit for Stanford, but Stanford's really good and. Maybe beating Arizona State by ten on the road is not that good, but it's, you're not losing. You're beating people. They say play somebody. They play in two Pac-12 teams. Arizona State beat Oregon. It's like I don't know. They beat New Mexico State, who could win the Sun Belt or be there, but be in the running. But what's it going to take for them? Is it them? Is it what I said? Them just beating Boise State because they're a named team next week. If they beat Boise thirty to ten, are they going to shoot up five spots just because they beat the Broncos? Who would be probably their second, maybe third best win of the year, if that's the case? I mean, it w- it also wouldn't hurt if teams ahead of them got you know bumped off, which you almost saw a little more of that this week. Like you know, if you read my article about games to watch this week, things nearly broke perfectly for the Aztecs. Like Miami ended up escaping Florida State, but the Seminoles had them dead to rights and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, some somehow Notre Dame passed San Diego State. Yeah, they moved up. In, I think in the AP poll or they something moved up like five that, spots. which I don't beat? understand at all. They play? Ugh. They beat North Carolina, who was Who is Notre Dame beat? I'm serious. Like, Temple's not very good, which we've discussed. At the first, first of the year, that could have been seen as a good victory. Not anymore. They lost to Georgia, who's really good, probably going to win the East and the SEC. BC's garbage. Michigan State, um, they did beat Michigan, but okay. And they crushed Miami, Ohio, and beat a UN, bad UNC team. You're not telling me Stanford's a better victory than anything they have by far? Yeah, they, they're ranked. It's like, yeah, Stanford's Michigan State, they again, are. The what's their record? Let me double click here to go through. They're 4-1. They're, oh, they're, okay. they're, they're also ranked. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good victory. But, like, so Michigan State, Stanford, they should be. I don't see the reason for the jump. Like if you if they're both winning by a good similar margin, it's like why why do they get the jump? Yeah, I mean look, I get the game started about midnight, but still it's like I mean look they they crushed this team. What are they going to do? They need to win by not to go back like who you got Trev Alberts or um, Craig James saying who are you beating? But 
All you can do is beat who you played. You beat them by 31 points this week. I think you're right. They're going to have to win three, four, five touchdowns to move up. And that shouldn't be the case to, to even pass South Florida. If they win out, there's no reason they should be, be ahead of South Florida, even if South Florida wins out as well. I mean, a lot of people mention it, that the coaches pointless. bowl is kind of pointless anyway. But, I mean, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I think there's going to be a course correction in the next few weeks. You know, not only because, you know, South Florida, they're, you know, they're probably not going to gain too much out of beating Cincinnati in the same way that, you know, Navy and UCF have already beaten Cincinnati. You know, so I'm expecting them to kind of stand pat, but then, you know, in the next week after that, they go to Tulane, who you just mentioned, you know, have come out of nowhere to be pretty relevant. And then in two weeks, UCF and Navy actually square off in Annapolis. So there's going to be some opticals for these teams in the American. But I think what's going to happen, you know, assuming that San Diego State beats Boise, which we'll talk about in the preview in a few days. But assuming that happens, that probably means they have the two best wins out of these four teams. Because not only do they have the Stanford win in hand, they'd have a Boise State win in hand. And then after that, who knows? And my guess is if they keep winning, they're going to be ranked ahead of everybody else in the group of five in the only poll that really matters. Exactly. And really quick, too, South Florida, they play Central Florida late in the year. They do not play Navy. So that would be a potential title game. Central Florida, South Florida, and opposite division. Are they in the same division? Is that right? Or are they opposite division? South Florida, are they in the same division? Central Florida and what? Okay. So that they so one of those are. made it knocked yes, out. In the east. Um Central Florida hold on ESPN, help me out here. Crap. Um so No no no, I mean Navy. They play, they play Thanksgiving. Navy. So if I'm gonna pick a team out of the American, it's gonna be Central Florida. Yes. That would have the chance because they'd get to play Navy who at the moment's ranked and South Florida who at the moment is ranked. Would you take if Central Florida runs the table and they and so does Aztecs, who would be higher? I would. I mean, I would assume it'd be San Diego State if they keep winning in the same. Because I'm assuming if the Rams winning. do what they're doing as well, they might get cracked. They should crack the top 25 at some point before the title game if they're sitting at 10 and two. Yeah, they're the. If I'm not mistaken, they're the only other team in the Mountain West for the moment yeah, two, that received yeah, also receiving there, so. votes in the AP poll. Um, one last thing, real quick. Do you, do you subscribe to Jeff Sagarin's rate ratings at all, or do you ever take a look at those? I just have uh, to pull it up. Once in a great while. So, yeah. out of those four teams, who would you say would be? Who would you think would be the highest rated team in his uh, projections? Hmm. Um, Incorrect. I would guess South Florida. South Florida is the worst of those four teams. Dude. At thirty-seven, I'll just go through number one. Central so Florida. No, so who's number one? Yeah. Would you care to guess how high they are, real quick, before mm-hmm. I just rattle these off? Six. Now, nah, just tell me. San Diego State next, 16. Really? Navy, 25. I'm just saying, I just point those out. Okay. I mean, I mean, Central Florida hasn't had any close games, so I guess you give them credit for that, but they also haven't really beaten anybody that's yeah, all that so, good. Um, I don't know, just, just something to look at, too, because, um, yeah, that's what I got there, so. So mention real quick, you tweeted out the Boise thing last year. Go over that real quick before we wrap this up about how them in Western Michigan last year at this point. Yeah, yeah so I was trying to, to put this ranking into context. And 
so I went back in the last few years to try and see where other group of five teams were ranked at this particular juncture. I'm trying to I'm trying to pull it up as I'm talking right now. Um, Do you mean from last year? This is really riveting podcasting right here. Yeah, I'm sorry. I gotta well, scroll down it was the um, it. week five, right? Same week as well. Week six or something where Western Michigan was undefeated and Boise was undefeated and who was higher. Yeah. There, there was a point last year where Boise had a loss ahead of Western mm-hmm. Michigan. Late in the year. So really quick, I got it right here. Week six, last year's yeah. rankings, you had Boise State 4-0-19, Western Michigan 5-0-25. Oh, okay, yeah, there it was. And then in 2015, two years ago, Boise State was 5-1 and one at this juncture. They were ranked 21st. And then Houston, who we all know ended when up going Florida to State? the – Was it the Sugar Bowl? Uh, Peach Bowl. When they played Florida State, yeah. They were 5-0 and oh at this – or Peach Bowl, yeah. They were 5-0. and oh, They were ranked 24th. And then, you know, three years ago in 2014 – it was East Carolina that was ranked 18th at five and one, and Marshall was six and zero oh at number 25. Make of that what you will. I just still think the AP and the coaches are, are they, is it literally State really them not watching point. any of their games and just say, "Oh, they beat Air Force by four, they beat Team X by ten, or beat them by beat Stanford by three. It's like, how do you not get credit for beating Stanford? I don't know, but that's a really good. So if question. you're gonna make a, you would still say regardless, whoever runs the table, it's a San Diego State would trump every other team: South Florida, Central Florida, or Navy. Yeah, because I think at the you know by the end of November, assuming they've win the conference, they're gonna have beaten like a ten win Colorado State team. They'll win. They'll have the Stanford win. Who I'm assuming the Cardinal will probably still be ranked maybe in the low 20s by then. So, yeah, I don't see any reason why the Aztecs at this point I think it's, control well, their just, own destiny. I'm concerned because, I don't know, stupid American conference. They have, I think part of it is like somebody mentioned, oh, they got, they're the only conference with three teams undefeated, and you replied who they played, essentially. <laughs> it's like, who you beat, what do you got? It was just true. And then we look at Stanford really yeah. quick. They still have Oregon, who's, even though I think they still have their backup quarterback in. They got them. They should beat them. They get Oregon State. They go to Washington. They host Washington State. So they have – and they play Notre Dame. So if Stanford can – I don't know if they'll win the North Division because they already have that USC loss. But that Washington – the last month is going to be is going to be helpful or hurtful for San Diego State. Probably more helpful. I don't think it will matter if Stanford goes 8-4. I don't think that's going to be a big deal. But I think Stanford could beat Notre Dame. I don't see them being that great. At home versus Washington, Maybe. So they have opportunities to help out the Aztecs by winning those games, and that'll just give that Aztec win much more credit. So that's all I got. We can mm-hmm. go through all this. I'll probably start doing – you got the watch guide. I'll probably start ranking teams out with zero, one loss, that type of thing I did last year since we're midway point. And really quick, um, are we going to do any mid-year show, or should we just make our preview show just extra long <laughs> next week? All right, you heard that, folks. We'll have an extra bonus podcast, extra length podcast, I should say. But that's our show for today. Thanks for listening, tuning in. Give us a follow on Twitter. We people say we beg for Twitter followers. I don't think that's the case. We ask occasionally, and I say screw you for tweeting more than we normally do during a game, and it's the only game on the night. Like you say, Matt, isn't the mute button a beautiful thing for a couple hours? 
This is why I always say mute now. And we're not doing play by play all the time, so you can shove it, whoever you are. And also Mitch McGreen, whatever you are. I don't know why he blocked us, but there were multiple people who replied to us and said I had no clue what his tweet was about. Zero clue. And I asked for clear I asked for clarification and he blocked us. I'm like, okay, so, cool. If that's your deal, fine. Right? <laughs> and I think it's really Mick, but I'll call Mitch yeah, McGreen just because. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> but Blog Talk Radio, tune in, iTunes, um, what else we where else we had? Um Blog Talk Radio, did I say that? Stitcher, yeah. Five star review, that'd be helpful. Um, tell your friends, retweet us. Um, if you like us, if you don't like us, that's how we roll. Five stars, right? Yes. All right, that's our show for tonight, folks. Um, again, mwcwire.com, and we'll see you next time. And yeah, we are biased to get your team. <laughs>